Well, today we are we are going to continue where we've been in Matthew chapter six, walking through the Lord's prayer, finding points of application in the Lord's prayer, and uh, and and I want to say those of you who are graduating, and and we are celebrating graduation Sunday, as we've said several times already. Those of you who are graduating, this is something to remember. All of these elements of the Lord's Prayer. But I would encourage all of us to be spending time every day thinking about Jesus' model prayer. Now, you don't have to necessarily pray the exact words, although it is great to have that memorized and walk through it. Sometimes when I pray, in the mornings especially, I'll actually walk through the Lord's model prayer. And I won't necessarily pray it exactly how Jesus prayed, but I'll make sure, okay, have I acknowledged the Father and His goodness today? And I'll take some time, and I'll just acknowledge the Father and His goodness. And, and then I'll ask, you know, have I, have I asked the Lord to bring His kingdom to life in me today? And so I begin praying. That, so it's a great way to walk through in prayer. If you don't know what to pray, can I encourage you? Pray through the Lord's model prayer. But, but those of you who are graduating, these principles, what Jesus is praying for, these are things I would encourage you to be praying over your life as well, as you're making these next moves to whatever stage and place that God has called you to. But let's go ahead and read the Lord's Prayer together. I know Pastor Dwight just had us pray it, but uh, I think it's good for us to read this again. Plus, I'm using a different translation, so uh, it's good for me to remember (laughs) what my notes were based on. It says, Therefore you should pray like this in, in Matthew 6, 9. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive the others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. This is the word of the Lord. Can we just give the Lord a praise for his word this morning? Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us the words that you revealed to us through Scripture. We know, Lord, these words are directly from you, inspired you, and you inspired the hands of men to write these words. But, Father, we know that ultimately these are your words, and we know this prayer from Jesus is so important because this is the Son of God revealing to us a structure for prayer, a way that we ought to pray. And so I I just believe this morning, Lord, we need to pay attention to this. We need to pay attention to this section about forgiveness and and talk about what it means to be someone who's forgiven and then to extend forgiveness to others and how that relates to temptation. And Father, this morning I just want to pray that you would help us because the reality is we're not going to be able to understand what you want to speak to us this morning. We're not going to be able to understand the implications of this text Unless the Holy Spirit intervenes, unless the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts. So Holy Spirit, please come today and speak to us. That we would not be hearers of the word only, but doers also. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I had this particular experience in my ministry early on. I was a young pastor. I was pastoring this little rural church. Still don't know why in the world they asked a 20-something. Like, I was like 23 when they hired me to be their pastor. Crazy. Uh, I, had, I didn't know what I was doing <laughs> at all. But uh, they brought me on, and it was a great blessing. It was a huge, enriching time in my life. And, uh, and, and I remember one Sunday, I was learning to preach. You know, I really was. I, I was just, I was, 
and, and every week I would, I would show up to church and I'd studied and I was just like, Lord, I have no idea what, what, what's going to happen today. I don't know if this is going to sink or swim. And I still, by the way, approach uh, preaching that way. But, but, uh, but I remember being nervous. And we were preaching through Romans because I just felt, I didn't know, I was like, Lord, I don't know what else to do. I just want to preach the strongest gospel messages I can, and so Romans, you know. Um, and, and I remember this one week, I don't remember the text, but I remember this week, I, I, I got up and, and I was delivering the gospel. I was calling people to repentance. And this young man, well, not a man, he was a kid, probably a nine-year-old, ten-year-old kid, about the same age as my Ellie. He, uh, he falls to his knees and begins to cry out. And I, now, you guys remember, I, was, I grew up in a Baptist church, right? Uh, that freaked me out. <laughs> I was, what's going on here? But, but I've, I also, at that time, like the Lord was dealing with me at that time. I was learning to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I was learning uh, a lot of things about the Holy Spirit. And, and so that was a really powerful time in my life. But, but I just remember the Lord saying, to my heart, I just felt the Lord say that this man needs to repent. This young, young well, kid needs to repent. That, that he, he has seen the darkness within him. Like the Lord revealed it. And, and, and that revelation of the darkness within him, it, he didn't know what else, what else to do but to cry out in fear. And mind you, this was not a fire and brimstone sermon that I was preaching. You all know me by now. I'm not too much of a fire and brimstone guy. But, but it was the gospel laid clearly, and the Holy Spirit spoke to this young kid, and he was overwhelmed. And here's the reality. Every person alive faces a dark hole of gloom and doom apart from Christ. We don't think about that very often in America. <laughs> we don't like to think about hard things. So uh, we, we tend to try to medicate ourselves. We medicate ourselves with YouTube videos and, and, and social media and, and material wealth and things. Binging Netflix shows. You know, we, 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 we medicate ourselves in a variety of ways. We don't like to think about uncomfortable things. But the Holy Spirit knows that we need to see the darkness if we're to come to the light. I'm going to read you a quote from Jonathan Edwards' pamphlet on revival. This is great. Now, I'm going to warn you, it's in an older dialect of English, okay? This was written in the 1600s. So it's probably not going to be, I've read it. Dozens of times, and I still struggle to get through it. So I'm going to do my best, but, but, but we'll summarize it at the end. Here's what he, Jonathan Edwards wrote. He said, There are none of us but do suppose, and would have been ready at any time to say it, that the misery of hell is doubtless so dreadful and eternity so vast, that if a person should have a clear apprehension of that misery as it is, it would be more that his feeble frame could bear, and especially... If at the same time he saw himself in great danger of it and be utterly uncertain whether he should be delivered from it, yea, and to have no security from it one day or hour. 
If we consider human nature, we must not wonder that when persons have a great sense of, of that which is so amazingly dreadful and also have a great view of their own wickedness and God's anger, that things seem to them to forebode speedy and immediate destruction. We see the nature of man to be such that when, sorry, when, when he is in danger of some terrible calamity, to which he is greatly exposed, he is ready upon every occasion to think that now it is coming. When persons' hearts are, uh, are full of fear in a time of war, they are ready to tremble at the shaking of a leaf and to expect the enemy every minute and to say within themselves, now I shall be slain. If we should suppose that a person saw himself hanging over a great pit full of fierce and glowing flames by a thread that he knew to be very weak, and not sufficient to bear his, his weight, and knew that multitudes had been in such circumstances before, and that most of them had fallen and perished, and nothing within reach that he could take hold of to save him. What distress would he be in? How ready to think that now. The thread, or sorry, the dreadful, or sorry, uh, let me get that right. How ready to think that now, the thread of breaking, that now this minute, he should be swallowed up in those dreadful flames. And would not he be ready to cry out in such circumstances? How much more those who see themselves in this manner hanging over an infinitely more exceeding er, dreadful pit or held over it in the hand of God, who at the same time they see it to be exceedingly provoked. No wonder that the wrath of God when manifested but a little to the soul overbears human strength. It's poetic, beautiful, and terrifying, is it not? And I believe true. I believe what Pastor Jonathan Edwards, all those years ago, during the time of the Great Awakening, as he was preaching, what he wanted people to see is that when the human soul sees the extent of how far from God we truly are and, and what our future looks like apart from Christ. Scripture calls it a lake of fire for a reason. Fire destroys. Jonathan Edwards said that we would be struck to the core. Now, this was actually, he was writing in response to critics who said, well, people... Uh, they fall over in your meetings. Um, people tremble and shake in your meetings. That's weird. And Jonathan Edwards says, it's not weird if you understand what the Holy Spirit is revealing to them and that the end result of it is repentance. Right. Now, what does that have to do with this, you would say? I think it's important because this is Jesus' prayer for forgiveness. And Christians, I think we need to reflect more sometimes on what exactly we have been saved from. It is too often that we become comfortable in our own skin, thinking that somehow it is our righteousness that God has responded to rather than his faithfulness that we have responded to. How do we receive forgiveness? We don't receive forgiveness on the basis of our good works. We receive forgiveness on the basis of the blood of Christ shed for us. So I want to give a few thoughts out of this section. And I want us to chew on it here for a bit. 
The first thing I want to point out is that those who have experienced forgiveness are most empowered to forgive. Here's why. Because Christian, you have stared into the depths of hell. If that keeps doing it, I will switch microphones. You have stared into the depths of hell. How do I know that? Because in order to become a believer, you first have to understand how broken you are and you are in need of repentance in order to be restored. We'll move to this one. How about that? microphone, but it's, this little microphone's been having some trouble lately. We'll have to figure that out. So, anyway, we're, oh, I gotta switch to the handheld. I hope I don't throw it in, at anybody on accident, um, if I get a little fiery up here. Okay, um, but we have stared into the depths of hell. We know what brokenness looks like because we've seen our redemption. If you've become a Christian, you've, at some point in your life, you came to a place where you knew that your only hope was in Christ. That you had nothing in yourself to give, but only to come to Jesus Christ in order to be restored. Right? You, you, we, we should have had a point where we've understood our own brokenness. Christian, you've come to the place at some point in your life where you knew that if Christ didn't intervene, you were as someone standing over a precipice, looking down into an eternity separated from God in the flames of hell. That's important because if you've been forgiven to that degree, then you are most empowered to forgive others who have offended you to an infinitely less degree than you have offended God. Forgiveness, it ultimately is about freedom when we think about it. It's about freedom because I've been set free from my sins. God no longer holds my sins against me. Anybody else seen this song when you were in vacation Bible school? Gone, gone, yes, my sins are gone. Anybody? Buried in the deep blue sea, yes, that's good enough for me. I can live eternally because they're gone. My sins are gone. When the Father looks at you, Christian, I want to remind you of something. When the Father looks at you, he does not see a long list of junk that you're dragging behind you. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. But the reason he sees the righteousness of Jesus is because Jesus spilled his blood for you. The righteous one, the one who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might become his righteousness, as the Apostle Paul writes. That's why we're set free. So if I did not come to God by my own righteousness, but on the grace of Jesus, and I was forgiven of my sins because of what Christ has done for me, then I forgive others, not on the basis of whether or not they have done rightly by me, but simply on the basis of the fact that I've received grace from God, and I am going to show others His grace by multiplying it out into the world. If we are free ourselves, then each day God grants us forgiveness. Do you know that uh, I didn't stop tallying up marks of sin the moment I was saved? I don't know about you all. Maybe you're more holy than I am. <laughs> but I, I have come to this place where I realize every single day I need more dispensa dispensations of his grace. I need him to give me more because I do stupid stuff. 
okay? I know who I am in Christ. I know what he saved me to be. And do you know that, that there are times throughout every day where I don't live up to it? And what fills in the gap? Jesus' precious blood and his forgiveness. I lay my head on the pillow at night, every night, and do you know I'm not stressed out over my sin? It's not because I don't have any. John says that the one who says he, ha- he doesn't sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. Distrust people who say they stopped sinning. I'm just saying, the Bible says they're a liar. We still wrestle with sin. How do I know? Like, Look, all of the apostles still wrestle with sin. Peter, after Jesus restored him, still wanted to exclude the Gentiles when he was around the Jews in, in, in Galatia. Remember that? And Paul had to oppose him to his face. Paul, while he's writing scripture, says, I am weak. In Philippians, Paul says, I have not attained to the place that that God has called me up to yet. If they wrestled, I'm going to guarantee you something, we're going to wrestle. I don't even pretend to be as good as Paul or Peter or any of those guys. They literally hung out with Jesus and ate his bread. He cooked them fish. That's pretty cool. Like, I can't wait for the barbecue in heaven someday. But, I mean, I'm just saying, we're still here, and we're broken, but we are being restored in Christ, and it's his forgiveness every single day that we require so that we can live a Christian life. So we can lay our head down on the pillow, knowing what we know, knowing how close we were to an eternity in hell, but knowing we've been redeemed. I don't go to bed at night thinking that if I die, I'm going to leave the presence of the Lord. If I die in my sleep, I know where I'm going to be. I'm confident, not because of me, but because of him. And because we have that kind of freedom, that's what I'm encouraging this morning. Because we have that kind of freedom, because we have that kind of knowledge of who we are, who we truly are apart from Christ, and all that we've been saved from, do you realize how that empowers you to forgive others? And you may be sitting in this room and saying, well, yeah, I know all that, but there's just, there, there are people in my life, I just really have a hard time forgiving them. I just can't let them off the hook. And I want to encourage you with something. Forgiveness does not always mean forgetting. You can forgive somebody. That means release them from the liability to pay for their sin. You can forgive them of their debt. But that doesn't mean you have to let them constantly abuse you or walk all over you. You don't have to be friends with a jerk, okay? You just don't. But you still have to treat them with kindness and goodness and grace. We release them from liability, just like Jesus has released us from liability. We know that we have not earned our place before God. Romans chapter 4, verses 3 through 5 says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Not to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, he believes on him who justifies the ungodly, and his faith is credited as righteousness. Here's the thing. The reason I read that scripture is because most people in the world— relate to God as if he's an employer and they're a contract laborer. And and, and we we 
relate to God like, like, well, God, I did a bunch of good stuff, so you really owe me right now. People, see, that's, that's the way most people think about heaven, right? Like, I'm going to get to heaven, my good's going to outweigh my bad, and God's going to say, hey, hey, you know what, you're good, come on in. You're 60%, you're a D, but hey, that's D for done, come on in, you know? Or hey, you're a C, that's a C for complete, come on in now, you know? That's not how it works. It's not how it works. We don't have a high enough view of our sin. We think our sin is just a little petty, well, just a little white lie, just, you know, just a little little thing here and there. We don't understand that the, 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 the outward expression of sin, all that is, is symptoms of a cancer. And the cancer cannot be purged. It's too deep in us. We cannot purge it on our own. So when we relate to God as an employer, essentially demanding God, respond to my righteousness, God, you owe me. You'll never work hard enough to overcome your own sin and your brokenness. You'll never do enough good works to overwhelm the depth of your darkness. Now, on the other hand, we have the opportunity in Christ to relate to God as sons and daughters. It's really different to be a son in the house than it is to be an employer or an employee at the business, isn't it? I'll tell you this. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I own an automotive repair shop. When my son gets old enough, if he wants to work at the shop, he's going to get treated differently than, than a, a hired laborer that I bring off the street because he's my son. He's, he'll be an owner of the, uh, not, not just, now he may not be, have full uh, ownership over it, but essentially he'll be an owner because he's my son. His payment is not based on his work. His payment is based on his relationship with me, his father. You see, what I receive in Christ is not payment for righteousness. It's because I have been brought into a familial relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. I'm a son. So as a son, the Father loves me as a son. I don't get my payment based upon what I do, but based upon who I am. And that's the mindset that we have to have. I think when we have that mindset, it changes the way that we look at other people as well. John himself also writes in his letter that, that, our, that God's love, our love for God, does not originate with us, right? We love him because he first loved us. So it starts with God. It starts with him reaching out to us. God forgives us, which unlocks us to be able to forgive others. It's an inner transformation. It, and I would say it's a state of being. Forgiveness is a state of being. It's who we are becoming in Christ. Forgiven people who then can forgive. So think about this real quick. Jesus models this prayer for us, even though he himself needed, he didn't need to be forgiven, right? Jesus, there's not a day in his life where he needed to ask the Father for forgiveness. He never did anything wrong. So we know this prayer is not for him. It's for us. The prayer is a daily reminder that no matter how far we walk down the path of this journey that we call the Christian life, we need forgiveness every day. We need the power of the cross to cancel out insurmountable new debts every single day. And as we realize how much debt
be forgiven in order to have a place with the Father. And you know that some of that brokenness still hangs out in here. And you've heard the voice of the old person in you when the enemy, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about here. When the enemy starts to plant an idea into your head and say, hey, sounds pretty good, that thing over here. It's just like Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. The enemy may say something like, hey, God didn't really say. He didn't really say that, that you had to do this or that. And, and you may be like, well, oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I can, I can do that. I can do this thing if I want to. You know, recently we've had a, a, a whole rash of Christian leaders, public figures who have fallen. And why is that? I'll tell you why. It's because the enemy knows exactly where our brokenness is. And these men forgot. They forgot that they stand on the works of Christ and not on their own works. And they started to think, well, you know what, I think I've, 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 done, I've done so many good things. You know, I deserve this little, this little relationship on the side of my marriage. I deserve it, you know. And, and the enemy, you know, moved, and, but they made that decision themselves. You know, they, you can't say the devil, devil made me do it. Doesn't work, Christians. Stop saying that if you say that, okay. Um, the devil didn't make you do anything. James even says that our temptation, <laughs> it's when the devil, uh, he may tempt us in an area where we're weak, but we're the ones who make the choice to follow him into that place. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that no temptation is overtaking you except for that which is common to man. He says, and guess what? In that place of temptation, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And in that moment, he'll provide you a way out. There's always a way out. It's like shoots and ladders. There's always a shoot, you know? Like, like you're, in this, you're in the moment, the devil's tempting you, and there's a shoot. <laughs> and Christ says, get on the shoot. Don't, don't go any further in. I've got you a way of escape over here. So we can never say the devil made me do it when we sin. And we can never say God made me do it because God doesn't tempt. It's always on us. We're the ones who make the choice to follow our temptation down, down that road and enter into sin. But the reason why I think so many people in our day, so many prominent leaders are falling away from the Lord, I think it has everything to do with the, we've grown an inflated view of ourselves. Now, you may, you may be thinking, well, I don't really think very highly of myself, but, but I think that we sometimes do the same thing. We start to think, well, you know, I, I've... I've really been walking with the Lord. I think I've earned uh, a little bit of indulgence over here, you know. And, and the enemy pokes at us and says, yeah, it's, it's fine. Go for it. And we like what he's saying. And we're like, yeah, you know what? Thanks. Thanks for being a good cheerleader. And we walk down that road. Here's the thing. Part of being released from the evil one is, is that we have been released from the need to go to these places because we're everything that we ever wanted to be in Christ. So knowing that we rely on forgiveness every single day and avoiding temptation are directly linked. Because when I realize how much I'm forgiven every day, get this, there's no room for pride in me. There's no room for me to start thinking, you know what, I'm pretty good. I think I deserve this little indulgence. 
I can't be prideful if I know that I was literally standing over the chasm looking into hell before God snatched me out of the fire. And then it wasn't me, it was him. We are conscious. This is a quote from John Calvin, by the way. This is really good. We are conscious of our own weakness and desire to enjoy the protection of God that we may remain impregnable against the assaults of Satan. When I'm conscious of my weakness and I'm conscious of the goodness of God, that empowers me to say no to the devil. It empowers me. Here's the thing. I know that I am living on his grace and his grace alone. I don't want to be a spoiled child living in my father's house, blowing my father's money, right? And I don't want to be a spoiled child living in the kingdom, blowing my father's grace. That's foolish. R.C. Sproul wrote, The forgiven pray this petition because they trust God and they distrust themselves. The Father may test us, but he will not allow us to be tempted beyond our capacity. Listen, we need forgiveness because our sin depth is deeper than we ever realized. We are not strong enough to overcome it, but Christ is. We need to be delivered from temptation regularly because we are weak and we are prone to falling away from the path that Christ has shown us. Our old ways still draw us, and if we're honest about it, our old ways still draw us, even as we fight against them. I want to give a picture for this, because I think sin patterns are similar. At least the picture that, that God gave me was a picture of a of like a, a seam in some pants. Now, um, I, I'm probably not the only one who's ever had an awkward moment where, you know, a seam in your jeans ripped at the worst possible place, right? Uh, working on cars, can, can I just say occasionally you rip a pair of pants. It just happens. Um, but, but pants are weakest at the seam, right? A shirt is weakest at the seam, where it's been joined together. The reason why this picture is important is, is because... Um, our sin patterns are sort of like a seam in us. Yeah, God, is, God has sewn them together. He's patched us back up. But though sewn up, a seam will be weaker than the rest of the cloth. And a good pull might tear it. The devil is a master at pulling where he knows that you and I are weak. He's a master at it. Just yanking right there. So how do we overcome this? We do it by recognizing our own spiritual Weakness, our dependence upon Christ, distrusting self, and planting our faith firmly in God. Now, one other thing I want to say about this is part of being delivered from the evil one, part of this whole thing is being released from the bitter impulse of holding others responsible for sin rather than releasing it to God and trusting him to handle it. So Adam and Eve blamed other people when they sinned, right? We don't do that anymore. Christian, we take responsibility. When I sin, I own it. Father, I, I, I blew it. Thank you for the grace of Jesus that's covering this right now, though. I don't want to take for granted the blood of Christ spilled over every sin in my life. We don't want to be a church that takes the blood of Jesus for granted by just sinning and being like, oh, you know, it's going to be fine. That's what people are doing when they go out and they sin and, they, and, and then they come Sunday and they confess. And they're like, okay, woo. 
Lord, that was a crazy Friday night, but, you know, I'm grateful for the grace of Jesus today, and I know you're going to forgive me today. Man, why would you presume on his grace like that? And why would we, why would we despise the blood of Jesus to such a level to take it lightly? I don't think any Christian ought to do that. And, and, and I'm, I'm just encouraging, look, I don't, I'm not sitting here, like my goal here is not to guilt you into anything. But if the Spirit brings conviction, that's great, okay? Because conviction brings life when we repent. Pastor Sam Storms has said that we don't put our faith in our faith, but rather we put our faith in God. He's stable, we are not. If we ever want to overcome sin, we only do so by holding on to the solid rock that is Christ. Everyone and everything else in this world, ourselves included, is shifting sand. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All right, one last thing before we close today. People um, who refuse to forgive likely haven't experienced forgiveness. This is a hard word. But Jesus, in verses 14 and 15, he's actually giving an explanation for what he said in verse 12. So understand, all these things are linked, right? If you're a bitter person, if you're someone who is not letting other people off the hook, you're more prone to the attacks of the enemy, you're more prone to temptation. Part of being delivered from that is being someone who releases others because you're experiencing forgiveness. You're not relying on yourself any longer. You're relying on him. But this is about whether we've actually experienced God's forgiveness. And Jesus doesn't pull any punches in verse 14, and by the way, I, I've, all, I've said this many times, I'll say it again, I don't think the Holy Spirit makes, a, makes accidents in inspiration of Scripture. So I think he means every word he says here, and he intended to say it. He says, for if you forgive others their offenses, your Heavenly Father will forgive you as well, but if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Well, that's a, kind of an odd statement in some ways, right? Think about, well, Wait, we've been talking about how it's not our righteousness, it's Christ, but this kind of seems like God might be responding to our righteousness. Like, if I, don't, if, if, if I don't forgive, he won't forgive me, so I have to forgive in order to be forgiven? How does that work? It's like a chicken or the egg thing, you know? But, but can I just say that uh, it, it probably isn't as confusing as, as we might try to make it in our heads. I think here's what he's pointing to. The type of person who has experienced forgiveness, is the type of person who forgives others. Do you remember, um, I'm just going to read this out of Luke chapter 7, verse 41 through 43. He says, A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt for both. Which of them will love him more? Simon answered, this is not Simon Peter, Simon the Pharisee answered, The one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, here's the point Jesus was making. If you don't realize that you've been forgiven a massive debt, you're probably not going to be a very thankful and forgiving person. And there are a lot of people who go around acting like and thinking that they're pretty good overall. I'm a pretty decent person. Do you know what the reality is? According to Jesus' metric, those people are actually the worst. Oh, 
that's a, that's a hard statement, <laughs> but, but, but it's true. The Pharisees were worse than the prostitutes to Jesus because the, at least the prostitutes understood they were broken and needed to be forgiven. The Pharisees just thought they were pretty good. Oh, I've been living a Christian life, you know. Uh, my grandma was a Christian, raised me in church. I know the Bible. Oh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, I know the Bible, but they don't know Jesus. See, that's a big problem. You can know the Bible and not know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. And the Pharisees knew the Bible. They had good theology. We would send our kids to their seminary. I'm telling you, they, they had good theology. They were the right ones. They believed in the resurrection. They had all their ducks in a row. But they didn't know God, and that was a problem. These sort of people, they love the least because they don't know God's forgiveness. They've never really experienced it. And they tend to be the most self-righteous and self-centered. They think God owes them the kingdom. And they're the furthest from entering into it. And that's the tragedy of it all. But Jesus' explanation here serves as a warning that we shouldn't be such a person, right? Don't be that kind of person. We all remember... The parable of the unforgiving servant, I'm sure, from Matthew chapter 18, the guy who God forgives, you know, the, and the master forgives him this massive debt. And then he goes out and finds his fellow servant who owes him like 10 bucks. And he's like, pay me now. And the guy can't do it. And he throws him in prison. Y'all know what happens to him, right? He ends up way worse off than he was before. In prison forever, his family sold off to pay for the debt. When we refuse to forgive others, we prove within ourselves that we have not known the forgiveness of God. And that's why those who do not forgive should not expect to be forgiven. It's not because we have to perform. Forgive so God will forgive you. It's because if you're not the kind of person with a forgiving heart, maybe you're not actually in the state of forgiveness. It's proof of the pudding, if you will. Being under God's forgiveness Again, it's, it's a state of being in which when we are in this state of being, everything begins to revolve around his kindness towards us, which enables us to be scandalously kind to others. Even people who frustrate us, who wrong us, who anger us. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that we are to love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. If we know that we aren't building on a foundation we laid for ourselves, our foundation is Christ. And if our foundation is Christ, then our entire building is being shaped by forgiveness, grace, truth, and love. Right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, No foundation has been laid other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the, I guess the question really comes down to, what is the foundation of your life? Is it Christ? And if it is, do your actions, do your deeds follow through on that? Or is your foundation one of this world and of the enemy and of human nature? Our deeds expose us. Jesus said a statement like this. Wisdom is justified by all of her children. What do you mean by that? What he meant by that is true wisdom will show itself in what it produces. Can I tell you this? That if you have a foundation of Christ laid in your life, it's going to show itself by what you produce out of your life. 
again, I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. I don't, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. We're still wrestling. But here's what it is. It's a general concept of my life orbits Jesus. And I'm regularly repenting. Look, you're going to catch yourself in moments of unforgiveness. Can I say that? You're going to catch yourself in moments. But then what you do with that is going to be huge in defining your character. Do you repent and immediately believe the gospel again in your own life and go and forgive that person and release them, even if they're still a jerk? Do you let others off the hook like Jesus has let you off the hook? And do you go to him and say, Master, I'm so thankful for your grace. I blew it this week. Would you let me, would you forgive me as I'm forgiving others just like you, just like you do for me, right? Every day a sinner wakes up here on earth rather than in hell is an act of God's forgiveness and grace. And if we have heaven in our future, it's God's grace, church. The difference between a Christian and an unbeliever is the unbeliever experiences forgiveness. Everyone experiences that every day, right? If you don't die and go to hell, <laughs> you experience some kind of forgiveness, some of the forbearance of God. An unbeliever experiences that forgiveness and walks away still cold and unchanged, whereas believer experiences forgiveness and is transformed forever by it. Every day is different because I know Jesus. So, so, so four, I want to give us four things to walk out this week, okay? Not just this week. This is to move forward into the future as well. But four specific things. One, I want to encourage you, if you haven't experienced Christ's forgiveness, I just want to encourage you to turn to him humbly today and ask for it. Have you repented and believed the gospel? Have you turned from your sins and towards Jesus, telling him, hey, look, Lord, uh, there's nothing in me that is worthy of you. I just want to come on the basis of the blood Christ spilled for me and only on that basis. You don't owe me anything. I owe you everything. But would you release me anyway from my sin because of Christ? Have you ever done that? You ever come to him? I want to encourage you, if you've never done that, Let's do it today. What are you waiting for? You have the grace of Christ extended to you today. I believe the Holy Spirit is extending the grace of Christ to some watching online, maybe some in this room. Don't waste that opportunity. Second, this is mo more for Christians, but I would, I would encourage each of us to ask God to reveal to you any hint of an entitled mindset in you. Repent and lean upon His grace alone to sustain you. It's back to that temptation thing, right? You don't want to live like an entitled child in the Father's house. Is there entitlement in you where you feel like God owes you something because of your performance? We've got to repent of that and lay it down at Jesus' feet if we're going to be overcomers in Christ. Third thing is we want to practice, by, we want to practice these things. Practice forgiveness by actively seeking out someone you are holding bitterness against, praying for them, forgiving them, and doing an act of kindness for them this week. Do you have someone that you're bitter against this week? You, you feel bitter? You haven't released them from some sin debt? This is going to be a tough one, and, and that's why it's going to take a lot of prayer. But if you want to experience freedom in Christ, can I encourage you? You've got to forgive that person, and you've got to repent to the Lord for refusing to forgive them. And the fourth thing that I want to encourage us to do is to pray this prayer of Jesus every day this week, being mindful of our own weakness while fixating on Christ's strength for us and in us and through us. Can we commit to that this week? Yeah.
Pray this prayer, this model prayer of Jesus. Pray it through every day this week, being mindful of your own weakness while fixating on Christ's strength for you, in you, and through you. Yep, yep, I'll say it again. Pray this prayer of Jesus every day this week, being mindful of your own weakness while fixating on Christ's strength for you, in you, and through you. I'm going to leave us with one more thought. I, I got two John Calvin quotes in a sermon today, but it's, his, his, his writing on this was so good. I just, anyway, he says, Unless God pardon us every day many sins, we know that we are ruined in immeasurable ways. And on no other condition does he admit us to pardon, but that we pardon our brethren, whereas offenses they have committed against us. Those who refuse to forget the iniquity or the injuries which have been done to them devote themselves unwilling or devote themselves willingly and deliberately to destruction and knowingly prevent God from forgiving them. You know why? It's because they have a hard heart and we don't want to be people with a hard heart. Soft people enter into the presence of Christ. So let's let's pray together. I want to I want to, I want to encourage something as we pray. Um, if there's something in you that the Lord is drawing out, maybe take a paper and write it out. Um, because I don't want you to forget this. Lord, we need, we really need your help today. Because, God, we are a mess. <laughs> we are a total mess. And we're so thankful that you love us in our messiness. And, Father, not only do you love us in our messiness, but you've promised that you're not going to leave us messy. You're going to clean us up. You're going to make us like your son, Jesus. And Father, I, I long for the day when I look at my own life and I say, boy, that really looks like Jesus. I long for that day. And Father, put that yearning in all of our hearts as we pray the Lord's Prayer, Lord. It's not just about reciting some words that we've learned all of our lives. It truly is about being like Jesus, becoming like Christ. That is what we desire. We want the kingdom to be realized in us. We want to be the kind of people who forgive like Jesus forgives. So, Father, draw us in repentance towards yourself. And, Father, I pray that as we go out this week with this mindset of forgiveness, not because of who we are, but because of who you are, that life will be released into the world and that gospel will be proclaimed because as, as, as people in this church house and watching online, as we forgive others, we're going to be able to say some, this incredible thing to them. We're going to be able to say, I'm forgiving you. Not on the basis of what you've done, but on the basis of what Christ has done for me. And I want you to know he's done it for you too. And Father, I pray that those words would ring out and that some will be drawn to repentance and belief in the gospel through the testimony of forgiveness that is, that is extended from this church on this Sunday morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.